0: You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded
1: live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington,
0: visit kensingtonchurch.org.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see y'all. You um, if you've never been here before, my name is Matthias, I'm one of the worship pastors around here. Um, and uh, if you, this is your first time here, welcome. Um, I hope you enjoyed the obstacle course that we set up for you in the parking lot. I'm sure that was fun. <laughs> um, but uh, it's actually a really uh, funny example and kind of ironic. Um, you know, unexpected things like that happen all the time and they kind of make things inconvenient and get in the way. And, and sometimes life is exactly like that. Sometimes things don't go the way that we plan. How many people feel like everything sometimes is just completely out of whack and gets completely crazy, completely out of, out of control? I know that my life feels like that a lot. Anybody else with me? No, oh, look, everybody, cool. Um, but i really um i find comfort in the fact that we serve a god that no matter how crazy our life is getting he reigns above every bit of it and he remains in control he remains steadfast he remains faithful through all of it and so we're going to celebrate that this morning so let's stand as we worship
2: You remain in control Above it all Above it all
1: sing that just one more time. Sing
2: you
3: Just go ahead and stay up for one quick minute. Just listening to that song this week, and just the things that it says about God. He conquered death, from out of the grave, he brought light, He reigns over all. Like just all of those things you think about that that song says to be true about him. made me think of what the Apostle Paul once wrote to a church in Ephesus that he was a part of starting. Remember Paul, if you know, did not start out as a follower of Jesus, hated Christianity was the biggest critic of it, put all of his effort towards smashing it and destroying it in its infancy, has a supernatural experience where he meets Jesus, whole life is changed, becomes the biggest advocate for Christianity, huge author in the Bible. And in thinking of all of that that we just sang about the nature of God, Paul would write this to the Ephesians, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, but then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. And so now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Let me pray. Father. I just ask that as we move into the rest of this morning, God, you who are so great and so grand, you are the author of all that is, yet you are tender and you are close, you are personable and you are knowable, would you transcend everything that could be the barrier to us experiencing you this morning? Whether it's our own life right now of chaos, whether it's our own busy schedules, whether it's our own distraction of thoughts, whether it's our own doubts, Whatever it is, God, would you transcend it all and would you penetrate through it? Would you grab a hold of our attention to grab a hold of our hearts to communicate to us exactly what Paul wrote to us as you led him to write that there is no way to measure your love. There is no height, no depth, no width that could encompass the love that you have for us. I pray that we would feel that and we would sense that and we would walk out of here convinced of that more than when we came in, Jesus. It's your name we pray, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat for a few minutes. So a couple of things uh, just to let you know um, before we get into the rest of our morning. Uh, first of all, if you're tuning in with us online, you have jumped into the Orient campus, and we're thrilled to have you here. We're going to go over a couple things that are happening here at our campus that uh, we would even love to invite you out to and to be a part of. First of all, let me get this out of the way. Um, yes, it's a cast. Yes, it's broken. Uh, did it happen on my mountain bike? Yes. Am uh, I on meds? Yes. It's going to be a good morning. Uh, do I regret it and now have learned my lesson and will no longer do dumb, dangerous things on my mountain bike? No. No. (laughs) My only question to my surgeon was, how quick can I get back on my bike? So hopefully this fall. All right, now that that's out of the way, a few things that are happening that you need to know about. Uh, The 21st of this next month, we are not gonna be here in the building. We've been telling you about that. Hopefully you've heard that already, Ingrain that in your brain. You are welcome to show up here at the campus on the 21st. You will be alone. Uh, we are actually going to Wildwoods Park where we are gonna have an outdoor service. We're gonna combine both services into one service. Excited to be able to have the entire community together for one day. Uh, it's gonna be a day of baptisms. It's gonna be a day of food and just hanging out with one another being a community, being a family, but it's also a day that we're locking arms with another church in our area. Uh, Lake Point Church in Oxford is a church that we were thrust into relationship with as a result of the tragedy in the school system last year. And one of the things that came out of that, uh, as both of us as communities and churches uniquely served uh, the surrounding area from Lake Orient to Oxford, is we just felt like God can't have brought us together in this relationship just for this one moment, And so we have been dreaming together uh, about how we can lock arms to love one another, to love our community, to serve each other, and to serve our community for Jesus better together. And this is just gonna be one of those ways. So for so many reasons, I think this is gonna be a day you don't wanna miss. It's gonna be an incredible time together, and it's gonna be one of the first times that we're actually linking arms with another church right here in our own neighborhood, asking God, what is it you could do better through us together than you could do through either of us alone? So go online, get all the information, find out where it's at and when it is, but we would love to have you there. Hope you plan for it. Again, don't be here. Be there. Nobody's going to be here. Uh, parking lot. Let me just make a quick note of the parking lot. Obviously, as you came in today, it is a little bit crazy, but the semi is right in the entrance, and then you're navigating dumpsters. So. That's actually the result of us making a decision over the last couple of years that we really do believe that God has given us this property for more than just a Sunday morning service. And he's even given it to us for more than just meeting our own needs during the week. But if, if we're gonna be responsible and faithful with what God has put in our hands, and this building's part of it, it has to serve our community and our neighbors. And so one of the things that we've done among many over the last couple of years is we partnered up with Oakland County for an event that happens every year that is the result of what's left over in the parking lot. So there was a little bit of confusion in communication and didn't realize that all that needed to be gone today. So I just want to thank you for your graciousness, your patience with us. I'm sure getting into the lot was a little bit of a challenge, navigating those who are leaving, those who are coming in. But ironically, today we're going to talk about what it means for us to live lives truly dedicated to bringing the love of Jesus to other people. And one of the things that I already planned to talk about today is that when we live lives dedicated to bringing the hope of Jesus to other people, there are just times that that's going to inconvenience our life. And then we all find out yesterday that we're going to have this massive inconvenience in our parking lot today. So I just want you to know that although it's a little frustrating, although it's... It's not what we wanted to have happen this morning and it won't be here next week. There just is a reality that God's given us this space and we're gonna continue to use it. And if that's the worst that we have to be inconvenienced for to use this property to serve our community and our county, then so be it. So I hope that you'll just know for all the frustration that might be that that's one of the tangible evidences of us saying money where our mouth is, this place can't just serve us, it's gotta serve our neighbors. Uh, next week we are doing a series today we're wrapping the one up that we have been in next week we're doing a series I just want to show you a quick promo on because I am super thrilled about it it is called Boomers it's a series about all the generations that exist under the sun right now and where we're going to particularly give some energy and some emphasis into really what is the kind of alarming statistic that the younger and younger generations among us right now are fleeing the church at rapid pace And why is that? And what do we do about that? And as a dad whose kids are all in the youngest of generations right now, at 19 years old and then 15 years old, and I mean, those are my kids. And so I have particular interest in this. Some of you, your kids are in that age range. Some of you are going to be soon. Some of you have nieces and, and you have nephews and you have grandkids. This is a series, I think, that the timing is perfect. And I think it's gonna speak to all of us about how God intends for the multiple generations under the sun of his people to be his church. Here's a quick promo and a feel for it. So great series for an invite as well. So maybe there's somebody you know that this will be the series that will click with them and that you want to make that invite and invitation to, So make sure to be there. Also, when you leave today, come here, Jesse, help me out. For the, the week that we're not here and we're at the park, these are invitations. are Frisbees. So you can grab some out in the lobby before you leave today. Jesse, my volunteer, because I don't have a right hand at the moment, is going to help throw them out. Be careful, man. We don't need a lawsuit. Oh. And there's the lawsuit. Okay, you're done. Thank you. Have a seat. Appreciate your help. All right, let's switch gears. Acts chapter six, chapter one, is uh, it's the account of Jesus as he makes a transition back to eternity, hands a baton off to his disciples, and there's there's this moment of of subtle forgetting that they have in the presence of Jesus as he hands a baton off. There continues to be a subtle moment of how we can forget to this very day, and I want you to see it because it is the direction of the morning. And then he gathered them around him, and he asked, they asked him, Lord, is it at this time that you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time and the dates that the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are like, okay, you've risen. You're back alive. Clearly, you've shown that you are who you said. So now, right now is when you're going to fix everything, give Israel back. And he, again, at the last minute, he's reminding them, no, 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 no. That's not the plan. That's not the plan right now. Here's the plan. You're going to take the baton. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the very earth. That's the plan. Remember? And so then next, it says that he, literally, he just goes up in front of them. It says here, after he was done saying this, he was taken up before them, before their very eyes, and a cloud had hid him from their sight. So this is like the mid-game break, where you're like, you're huddled up, it's strategizing mid-game, and he hands a baton off, he gives them the pep talk, and it's like, break, and he goes. And here's what they do. They were looking intently up into the sky, And they just stand there. The text goes on to say that they stood there for so long that eventually God sends a couple angels down to say, hey, 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 eyes down here, get to work. Like he just handed you the baton, move. There's one of the greatest tragedies I think that can happen in the Christian world, which is... We can become so enamored with Jesus that we lock eyes on him, but all we ever do is stare at him, and we are interested in him as the person. We are interested in him as the God of creation, but we don't embody the mission that he gave us. We can, we can go to church and just stare at him. We can read the Bible and just be staring at him. We can even pray and just be locked staring at him where we're affectionate for him. Our heart is on him. Our eyes are on him. And yet our mission is not his mission lived out through our lives. And one of the things that so huddly, subtly happens all throughout the centuries of the early church are moments where they forget that we're not called to just believe something about Jesus. We're actually called to do something for his name's sake. We have been given the baton of his mission. This morning, I want you, we're gonna sing this next song before I come back up, Reckless Love. And as we do, I just want you to imagine and remember, like these are literally the words of God sung to you and I. There is no mountain I won't climb up. There is no shadow I won't light up to come after you. So as we sing this, I want you to picture God's reckless love chasing you down to the ends of the earth with passion and joy and beauty. God, I just want to pray before you right now and acknowledge you are everything that we just sang. You are the great God that has traversed every barrier to get to us, even becoming one of us, dying on a cross for us, all to let us know not that you're the God of judgment who wants to just beat us over the head, but you are the God of love and grace and mercy who to us longs to be a good father. I pray, God, that that would come through today in a different way, in a more powerful way, that we would cling to the hope and the reality that you are the God of creation and you know us and you love us. And yet you have also then given to us the baton of your mission, that this world would not exist without knowing that same truth, that there is a God, that Jesus Christ is the name given above all other names by which we must be saved and that you are wildly, passionately affectionate for us. God, would you help as I open up your scriptures, help me to be accurate to you, Jesus, accurate to the words you have given us in that book to understand you and to understand us better. Would you teach us something today about your love for us and about the mission given to us? In Jesus' name, amen. So. As we're jumping in further today, one of the things I want to take a quick pause and do this morning is, it's really, it's continuing to worship. You know, we, we call this moment, when we sing, we call it worship, because it's moments where we're using our voice to acknowledge the worth of God, and there's so many different ways that we do that. If you're part of this family, you know one of the ways that we do that, we use our resources to acknowledge his worth. And so we're going to receive up our offering, as always, thank you for those of you that are part of it. And for those of you that are like, you know, maybe you're new, new to church, new to Kensington. I know money is always one of the things that's a little skeptical. I just want you to know, like, one of the things I love about Kensington and one of the things that drew me here to leave the place, the church I had started called Paradox and been there for 13 years, was the mission and the heartbeat of this place. And I'm so proud, honestly, to be a part of what we do even financially to serve people. And there's so many ways to do it, globally, locally. As a matter of fact, two weeks from now, uh, we're going to be hosting Spring Hill Day Camp. And I think we've already got 200-plus kids that are signed up for that, families that are going to be here. And for the whole week, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be all kinds of activities. But it's going to be a week connecting and engaging these kids with the love of Jesus and who he is. My, my two daughters actually just got back from a week away at camp. And I just, they just came home yesterday. And just seeing the joy, my one daughter even looked at me, and she said, Dad, I just don't want this camp high to go away. And it's because she just had an incredible experience seeing Jesus in a different way and being around a group of people that were encouraging her in her own life and in her own walk. That's gonna happen right here on this property. And a part of these moments where we give is what makes that happen out there in a couple of weeks. So I just wanna thank you, invite you into it. If you're not a part of this with us, man, join the mission with us. There's nothing better you can do with your resources. So here's ways to do it. Here's the way we'd love to get involved. Really quick too, just to let you know um, that you can grab... Man, this one-handed thing. You can grab a uh, bunch of these flyers out at our K-Kids check-in. This is just letting you know that the midweek service we've got coming up, the week of Spring Hill Day Camp being here, so that's going to be the 3rd of August, Uh, If you've ever come to one of our midweeks, this is gonna be a little bit of a different midweek. Because Spring Hill is happening, it's in the middle of that whole week, we're actually doing more of a family-oriented midweek that night. But here's what's gonna be exciting about it is that we're gonna have a couple of different families up here, parents, kind of talking about the joys and the challenges of parenting. My wife, Nicole, and I are gonna be up here. Jeremiah and Maria uh, from our Clarkston campus are gonna be up here. Sam Anderson and his wife are gonna be up here. Amber, and just kind of talking through the, the uniqueness of being a parent at the different stages that parenting comes. But well, here's what's going to be really interesting. When we were planning this out, one of the questions that uh, Ryan Morrell, our K Kids director, was asking me is, you know, here's some of the questions I want you, Nicole, to be prepared to answer. Is like, like, how have you really done well as a parent, and how have you really screwed up? And I sat there and I thought, you know what? You know, you should ask that question too. Is my kids? And so my oldest son, Tobin, is going to join us. And Jeremiah's oldest son is going to join them. And some of those questions about our parenting are going to go right to them. So I have no idea how he's going to answer some of that. So it might get a little bit too real and too raw. But I figure if, if we're going to have a helpful moment, then let's have an honest moment. So whether that's going to be a good night for you or somebody you know that could really benefit from that, man, again, another great invite opportunity. And the whole of it, again, is happening because of your generosity in and around Kensington. So thank you. All right. Quick question as we dive in, kind of set some direction for the morning. You ever had an experience well let me see this, you have. Think of one where you needed somebody's help, and they kind of bailed on you. Maybe it's something simple, like you needed help moving, and all of your friends with the pickup trucks suddenly were busy that weekend, or you were just in a bad spot and you needed somebody to call and check in, and nobody did. Just a moment in life where you were depending on somebody else around you, where you needed the help of somebody else around you and you kind of got left to fend for yourself. So given, given some of my hobbies and my pastimes in life that uh, usually are dangerous, risky, and my wife would say most of the time stupid, uh, I have had a habit throughout the course of my marriage of pulling her into many of those same moments, uh, probably one of which, maybe the one that almost ended everything, was like five, we were like five years married, right? yeah. Yeah, like, oh, like five years in. We're going to be 26 years uh, in a couple of weeks, but we were five years into our marriage, and I wanted to, I'd wanted i been skiing my whole life, and I wanted to go out to the Canadian Rockies with some friends and do some skiing. We had an opportunity. The problem is my wife had never skied in her life, and so I was like, well, we got to teach you how to ski, like really quick. So I took her to Alpine Valley, good old Alpine, and uh, twice, two good times. I figured once she'd get her legs under her too, she's got it. See, my method for training anything is just point downhill and go. We'll figure it out. Like, my son who mountain bikes with me, people are like, he's, like, really good. How did you teach him? I was like, I put him on a bike, and I said, go. I "I don't know. He figured it out. Just follow me. And so that's, like, my method. So I tried to employ that with her over at Alpine, and it didn't go so well. But two times in, I felt like, all right, she's picking it up. We can do this. Let's go to Banff. So we go out to Banff with a couple of other friends, and all of us, but my wife, we had all been on skis our entire life. So we get out there, and I'll never forget, like, we get out there, and we look at this thing, and she's like, uh, we're not going way up there, are we? I was like, heck, yeah, we are. We didn't come out here to ride the bunny hill. So I didn't, I, I had no patience. I was such a jerk. I'm like, let's just go. So I get her on. We go up, lift, gondola, lift, and we're in, like, no man's land. And she's just like, I don't think I can do this. So here was, here was our council, pizza. You just got got pizza. You'll be fine. Just pizza and go really wide around the mountain. Just go back and forth, whole face of the mountain. That's all you got to do. Just pizza all the way down. You'll be good. So we're like getting through a couple runs, kind of getting her legs under. We're going higher and higher and higher. And there's this one time she's going down, and there's this older couple, and they're standing right at the edge, just beautiful scenery, and they're just taking it in. And here comes my wife. Ah! Boom! Just takes this poor guy out, knocks him down. Her skis go, his skis go. He jumps up. He's like, "Young woman, you have no business on this mountain." And then she's like, "I know. He made me do it." And they're like, "Oh, this is not good." So we we kind of talk through that. We get over that. It's okay. And then there's this one time we're back up there and we're going and we hit this one run where I'm not kidding you. We come down the face of this mountain and there's this jog to the left, like 90 degrees to the left that you've got to go and and. If you don't, it's a cliff. And not like a five-foot cliff. Like, they're never going to find your body cliff. And, and so there's a point where I'm down there, Brian's down there, Janie's on there, our whole group is down there. We're standing there, I'm looking up at her, I'm like, just pizza! yeah. And so here she comes all the way across, and her all the way across starts getting more and more narrow. And before you know it, she's just beelining down. There's no pizza, there's no wedging, and she's just... And I'm, I'm seriously looking at her, and I, honest to goodness, I'm watching my wife about to die. And I'm like, she's going right over that edge. And so the only thing I could think to do is I quickly unclipped. And by the time I unclipped, she's like right here. And I just dove through midair. I tackled her, blew her down onto the ground. Skis go, goggles go, helmet go. Like everything's ever, I mean, yard sale of the century. She's on the ground, I'm on the ground. She's crying. I'm like, what just happened? Everybody's staring like, what just happened over there? And so I didn't know what to do in the moment. So I shushed her. Shh. And to to your surprise as to mine, it didn't do anything good. And so then I'm like, wow, she's not shushing. She actually just got louder. Now she's yelling at me. So then I decided to say the three words that I thought, this is what will calm everything down. And I looked at her and I said, honey, you're embarrassing me. And it didn't, I didn't work. I couldn't believe it. It didn't work. And she's like, I'm done. You carry the skis down. You carry the stuff down. And so I did the whole rest of the way. I just carry, carry everything down. And to this day, she will not let me teach her. I don't think anything athletically. I'm not allowed anymore, right? There's nothing worse than being in a moment where you actually need the assistance of someone else and they leave you to fend for yourself. They leave you to take care of yourself. There's a story in the book of Luke in the Bible that we're gonna look at that is just this kind of a story, but it's opposite in that the friends that we're gonna find in this story were far better friends than I was a husband on that day. So if you've got a Bible, Luke chapter five is where we're gonna go. Verse 15 is where we're gonna start. We also put the verses on the screen, so if you're not sure how to find it, where it's at in the Bible, follow along there. But if you don't have one of these, grab one from us before you leave. Get one, bring it. Here's where we read. Verse 15 of chapter 5. And yet the news about him, him as Jesus, spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting. And they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus To heal the sick. So this is an account that you'll actually find in a couple of different gospels. And one of the gospels, it actually seems to indicate because it says that Jesus came home that after a long run of teaching and traveling and being spent, that he was coming home for a bit of a break, like a little bit of a take a breath and then we're gonna re-engage. But then it's very clear that he gets home, everybody knows that he's in town. Rumor spreads really quickly and so there's no rest and there's no break. Like everybody just floods into the house. Now, so there's actually archaeologists that have undug a lot of homes in Capernaum and probably 50 to 60 people, even of a big, more expensive home, more wealthy neighborhood is about all you'd fit in the house. So you picture Jesus here. He's probably thinking, I'm going to get a little bit of a break, no break to be had. Everybody floods in. But as this crowd begins to assemble, because they get word that Jesus is here, did you catch who it is that says is already there and they've got the front row first seats? It's the religious leaders. Capernaum was known for being an area of Ivy League schools for religious schools. And so you have got some of the trained among the trained religious leaders right here in this area. So the minute that they hear that Jesus is on his way, they bolt to the scene, partly out of curiosity, partly out of criticism, out of all kinds of things. But what's interesting to me is that they're the people that show up first and grab the best seats in the front. And here's what they're doing. They're just staring at him. It's actually a little bit similar to what we just read in the book of Acts when the disciples were like, hmm? And they've disengaged with the mission of Jesus because they're so intent on staring at Jesus. These religious leaders show up, but their concern is not the mission of Jesus at all. They're concerned with the words. They want to see what he's going to say. They're going to be critical of it, or maybe they'll agree with it. They're not really sure, so they want to hear what he has to say. But they have no interest in his mission and that's evidenced by the fact that they brought nobody with him. Because what did the text just say is spreading like wildfire in terms of what Jesus can do. So he's able to heal people. Like the rumor isn't, man, this guy is an incredible speaker. You gotta come hear him talk. The rumor is way better than that. The rumor is, this guy fixes people. He makes people well that doctors can't, that hospitals can't, that surgeons can't, that medicine can't. Like this guy does things nobody else does. So here's what's interesting to me. You've got this group of religious seat warmers that show up to the event first, get the best seats, and they bring nobody with them. But I guarantee you, they had to know people, friends, family, acquaintances that needed help, people that needed the healing that Jesus was rumored to be able to bring. Maybe they had family members that were paralyzed, that were blind that had been sick for years and nothing could fix. Like, I guarantee these people knew people, but their concern has nothing to do with anybody else. Here's their only concern. I want to get a seat at the event. That's their only concern. Thankfully, they're not the only people that show up to the event. There's also a group of late arrivers that don't get a seat, but I really do think they do get the point. Verse 18. Some men, everybody just say that, say some men, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him down on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. One of the things that's always so interesting about the Bible is there's like moments like this, you, can, you, can, you get the meat of what's happening, but you can read it without the humanity of what's happening because it just gets right to it, right? Guys show up, they're carrying a friend, they can't get in, they go to the roof, they lower him down. But insert the humanity into this moment. Like, have you ever been in a crowd that you've tried to get through and you can't? It's congested, excuse me, pardon me. Or have you been the crowd and somebody tries to cut in? Like, do you have a warm, gracious response? By all means, you go first, right? I mean, this is that moment. Like, Everything about this moment is obnoxious. Everything about this moment is inconvenient for everybody involved except probably the guy on the mat. Even the friends that he's having take him to Jesus, I don't know what else they had to do that day, but there's a certain amount of inconvenience to their schedule. They weren't able to get there in time to get a seat. Maybe they wanted to be there to hear as well. Maybe they wanted a front row observation, but there's an inconvenience in them having to get their friend there. There's an inconvenience to the crowd. There's like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, pushing through, trying to get through. There's an inconvenience to the poor guy's house as he rips the roof open. Like, again, think about that. Think about the obnoxious moment of that. Like, Imagine if we're all sitting here and all of a sudden like, particles start to fall and then a hole opens up and some dude's face pokes in. He's like, hey, I couldn't get through the dumpsters in the lot, can I come in? Like, It's just obnoxious. Or even Jesus, frankly. He's trying to teach. He's got a crowd there. They're engaged, they're listening. Some are critical, but some are hanging on every word. As a person that stands in front of people and does speak, I can just tell you sometimes, particularly being a little ADD, like it's hard sometimes to stay focused. I see things and my brain is like, bird. And so here's Jesus trying to teach and then inconvenient moment. Everything about this moment is a disruption to everybody else. There's a certain level of inconvenience. That's the humanity into what's happening in this moment. And here's why I think that's important. What these guys are committed to Although they have no idea what's going to happen when they get their friend there, what they're committed to is we've got to get our friend to Jesus. and we, we don't care about a seat at the event. We got to get our friend there. And they have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe Jesus will do something. Maybe he won't do something. Maybe the rumors are true and he can heal their friend. Maybe they're not true. Maybe we won't even get to his presence. But they know this. We're going to do everything possible to get our friend to the feet of Jesus. And so here they they show up carrying him, not entirely certain what's gonna happen. The Pharisees are there in the front row. The crowd's blocking the way and everybody's inconvenienced, and I think the important part of that is if you and I as followers of Jesus have any intent on living like these guys with a commitment to the mission of Jesus to not be men and women who just simply are enamored with him ourselves, but are saying, I want to get my friends, my family, my coworkers, I want to get this world to the feet of Jesus, then I'm telling you there will just be times that that's going to inconvenience you. There are going to be times it's going to put you in situations that aren't just inconvenient. It's going to put you in situations that are awkward. Everything about this situation is equally awkward as it is inconvenient. And it's also going to put you in situations where you might face rejection. But it will also put you in a situation where you may have the opportunity to have a front row view of watching God do his incredible, powerful Unbelievable work of revealing himself to another human being for the very first time ever. When I was, uh, when I was in college working my way through, uh, the job that I had to get through college was a waiter at Outback Steakhouse. And one of the guys that I started to get to know there, a guy named Jeremy, uh, his nickname back then was Two-Tone, because he had like two or three different colors in his hair, so we just called him Two-Tone. But Jeremy became one of my good friends at work. You know the people at work, you don't necessarily hang outside work, but at work, like you're like best friends at work. So he was that. And it got to a point where we started like hanging out a little bit, even outside work. And so there's this one day, it's a Saturday. Saturdays were our busiest days. We opened up at two o'clock. At one o'clock, we had this big like everybody's got to be there meeting. And so we have this meeting, and usually meeting ended, and you've got like 20 minutes to get your tables ready, get everything, you know, for the doors to open. And so that's that's where we're at. Meeting's over. I got a really short window of time. All of us have to be super busy. The crowds are about to flood in. And I just, I felt like God had just impressed a thought in my head. Bring me up. I was like, right now? Like right now. Bring me up. And I don't know what you think about people that do what I do, me or pastors, or like sometimes I think the maybe the misconception is we have an easy time doing that. And we know what to say and we know the Bible verses and we can answer all the questions and that's not true. I get stumped. I don't know how to answer certain questions. I forget things at times. I feel awkward. I don't want people to think I'm that guy weirdo. And so all of a sudden, all of that happens to me with Jeremy. I'm like, I don't want Two-Tone to think I'm that guy. Like, he's like becoming a friend and like, I'm going to bring you up. And I just felt like God just kept saying, bring me up, bring me up, bring me up. And so we have this moment where Jeremy comes walking over and I see him coming towards me and I just feel the pressure. and I just know God's like, "Now, now, bring me up, bring me up. And I was like, hey, do you like... God, know him, like personally, like in a relationship, do you know? He's like, dude, what are you talking about? And so I, have, I thought, yeah, I just like fumbled all over the place. I said all the wrong things. I made it completely weird and awkward. And he even said, he's like, dude, you're a weirdo. And so we go over to our jobs. And then later that day, there was like another moment and we're standing in the back. I'm like, hey, can I try that again? Here's what I was trying to say. And so I, I just, just started sharing my relationship with God. I was like, maybe this is weird. I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you about this and so at one point he's like are you inviting me to church I'm like yeah sure yeah go to church there you go bingo come to church with me and long story short we got to know Jen his girlfriend at the time and the two of them began to come to church with us and after a short amount of time of attending church then they moved down to Florida where they finished college and we just prayed desperately for them that God would bring more people into their life down there to continue to help that journey and he did and then they got engaged and then Then they called me and said, hey, we're getting married, would you marry us? They became the very first wedding I ever did, staying out of the beach in Fort Myers, Florida. And then they ended up, before they moved back to Michigan, after about two years of being gone, giving their life to Jesus from the impact of several people that God just continued over that time to bring into their life. And here's actually a picture of Jeremy and I This is actually the night before we rode the bike park where I hurt my hand last week. Uh, But that's Jeremy on the left. On the far right is his son, Colin. And then there's my son in between Colin and myself. And the cool thing is I have watched Jeremy and Jen now over the last 20-some years grow to just fall in love with Jesus, to serve him relentlessly, to make an impact in their neighborhood, to make an impact in their workspaces, to make an impact for Christ and their families At one point, Jeremy moved overseas with his family to India because he's a police officer and spent a year in Bangalore trying to help rescue men, women, and children out of human slavery and sex trafficking. I mean, this is a guy that has gone all in in his walk with Jesus, and their family even helped us plant the church paradox that I came from before I came here. And it it wasn't because of a perfect moment where I said everything right and answered all of his questions. But I think the whole thing began because I fumbled through everything but was responsive to the way God said, carry him in this moment and bring me up. And it doesn't always go that way. I've got another good friend named Mark. We ride together on bikes as well. Great friend. Our families are friends. Our kids are friends. He's come to church once or twice, but it's just been clear. It's not really my thing. I'm just not really into it. And you know what? I'm still his friend, still pursuing him, and I'm still absolutely convinced that God's climbing over every mountain, lighting up every shadow, to try and let Mark know that he's affectionate for his heart as well. These guys could have come up with any list of excuses why to not carry their friend to the feet of Jesus. They probably had family responsibilities. Maybe they could have been like, I, don't know what, I haven't been home lately. I've been working late. I need to be home tonight. I got to get my kid to f- baseball. Or maybe, I mean, they could have even honestly, they could have just been backed off because they were concerned that offering to help their friend on the mat, he would have been put out by it. Maybe offended. I don't need your help. I'll take care of myself there's no list to the reasons why they could have concluded we're not helping him, we just want to get a seat at the event for ourselves. But instead, this is a group of guys that seem to somehow embody what Jesus would later on teach about the nature of friendship. In John 15, this is what Jesus says about how he intends for us to live in relationship to the people around us. He says, I want you to love others as I've loved you. So think about that, as I've loved you, He says, the way that you've experienced me loving you, that's what I'm expecting you to do for other people. And then he goes on, he says, because greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Now, I doubt that most of us, if any of us, are ever gonna have the chance to literally lay down your life for a friend. You're not gonna be the person that steps in front of the locomotive. But you can lay down the life of your time. You can lay down the life of your own self-image and worry about how people are gonna think about you. You can lay down the, the life of your resources. Part of what God says is, when you have been captivated with my love, here's my baton to you. Love others the way I've loved you. How he loved us? Climbed over every mountain, lit up every shadow, never stopped chasing us to let us know. That song we started with, I don't think it's just intended to teach us something about God. Reckless love. I think it's intended to teach us something about us. Because one of the ways that God demonstrates his reckless love, honestly, is through our reckless love. Making the commitment ourselves to the people in our life, there's no mountain I won't climb up. There's no shadow I won't work to light up. There's no distance I won't fail to run to let you know there is a God over creation. His name is Jesus, and he is wildly passionate about you. That was the commitment of these guys. But it clearly wasn't the commitment of everybody in the room, in the house, or even outside the house. One, one, of, the, one of the things that irritates me the most in this story is reading that there's this group of people that just stand there like a thick crowd and won't get out of the way. The only reason they had to go to the roof is because nobody would part the waters and let this guy in. And I think particularly because of my parents, both being handicapped my whole life, my mom has polio, my dad is blind, I've been in multiple scenarios where it would have been really great to see the room they were in give, give consciousness to them, give attention to them. Well, there are a room where there's no seat and my mom needs to sit down and nobody's giving up a seat or my dad doesn't know how to navigate something because he can't see and nobody seems to lend a hand. Like I think because I've experienced that, like reading that here's a group of people that see this guy on a mat who clearly has need and they won't get out of the way is so irritating to me. And yet here's the truth. I think so often we in the church can become the same people where we just become a crowd, fixated on Jesus, maybe even enamored with him, affectionate for him but oblivious to the ways that we're creating barriers to the people around us that can't get to him because of us. Maybe because of our judgmental attitude. Maybe because sometimes our own hypocrisy. You know, one of the crazy things is, I mean, when you walk with Jesus, he never expects us to be perfect. That's what grace does. Grace covers all of our gaps, covers our imperfections. But there's sometimes where it's not an issue of, I'm not perfect, but I am relying on grace. It's an issue of, this is where it ends for us. Like, we come to church and then we hang up the church hat and we go back to a whole different life outside church. And there's sometimes just a level of hypocrisy that we can live with that creates a barrier when people look at us and go, I don't know there's anything real because I don't see anything different. I don't see anything unique. Sometimes it's even just the way we present ourselves online. Heaven's sakes, man. Like, right now, could we be a more triggered world? Facebook, Instagram, everywhere we look right now online. Everybody's voicing their opinion. Everybody's angry. Everybody's triggered. Everybody's hostile. And everybody's vilifying people that don't look like them, don't think like them, don't act like them. And the sad reality is I've watched so many people I know as committed followers of Jesus that are presenting something so angry, so hostile, that all they're doing, even if they're saying true things, in their demeanor, all they're doing is creating a crowd barrier. They're just blocking other people from even getting to him. Honestly, it was never like this. Like in the early church, the early church was so committed to combining what they believed about Jesus and the mission of how that belief should influence how they live and relate to people and bring the knowledge of Jesus to the world around them, that they became the greatest scandal in the entire Roman Empire how they loved their neighbors, how they served the sick, how they literally ran into plague-infected areas that other people ran out of, how they began some of the earliest forms of adoption by taking in Roman babies that were thrown out into the wilderness to die, how they continued to present the message of Jesus, seeing thousands and thousands of men, women, and children regularly give their life to Christ. Like, they became the greatest scandal in the entire Roman Empire because of it. And then somewhere along the way, the church began to lull itself into this subtle, dangerous idea that church is somewhere to attend and not a way to live. And honestly, real talk, if we slip more into the modern era of church... Like when we started building buildings and having lights and putting up screens and having live bands and, and having TED Talk preachers and speakers that were skinny jeans and pierced ears, all of a sudden, this whole thing, it turned into a show for us where our biggest concern was getting there to get a seat for ourselves. Our biggest concern became what I can get out of it and, and what it has to do for me. And the church was never intended to be that. The church was never a location, a service, or a building. It was always the people. Literally, the church, the name church, was always a reference to the people of God and to the mission that he had given them. And there's just this dangerous, subtle thing that has happened in the church where we have turned the mission of God into so often something no greater than just sitting in a building on a Sunday morning for an hour and some odd minutes and being entertained. And part of the evidence of that is how critical we become of it even. I don't like the music, I don't like the lights. That message didn't really resonate with me and then boom, we jumped to another church. Do you know part of the reason we have so many churches spread around the United States, sadly, isn't just because of people embodying the mission of God to go. It's because some people just left angry because they thought it was all about them and they started something else. There's just a reality that that's not these men though. These men didn't care about a seat for themselves. They cared about the friend that they loved, that they knew had a need, And they were gonna do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. And so Jesus responds. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's probably the most scandalous part of this entire passage. Because this guy shows up for healing, they drop him down, Jesus gives all the attention to him, he looks at him, he says, Your sins are forgiven. So he's not just acknowledging something about the state of this man, but he's acknowledging something about his authority. So he's saying, You 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 have this thing called sin, but I have the ability to actually take it away. But here's the thing, what hasn't he done in this entire exchange so far? He didn't fix his legs. The guy showed up so he could walk, he was carried there so he could be healed. And it's not like Jesus is mistaken, it's not like he was like, oh, oh, my bad, I thought you were here for communion. Like he knows what the guy's there for. But here's what he also knows. This guy's greatest need is not the condition of his legs. It's the condition of his heart. What he realizes is what's true about every single human being, ever born, born now, or will be born. We are born into a state in this world where there is sin that marks our heart. It is the rebellious part of our nature that says no to God and no to his ways, whether in small parts or in large parts. Whether that's to say altogether, I want nothing to do with you, or whether that's even to say, I do want you, but I'm not giving you this part of my life, not surrendering that part, not surrendering this part. Sin is that rebellious part of our nature that thinks, I got it, I can take care of it, I'm good, don't need you. And what it does is it separates us from God, and then it destroys everything. It's literally the reason for everything wrong in this world. Sin is the reason for the bad weather, for barking dogs, for car alarms, for crime, for injustice, for racism. It is the explanation for everything broken and twisted in this world. And what Jesus does when he looks at this man, he's like, I'm actually gonna do the best thing I can do for you. I'm gonna fix your greatest problem. And it's the problem that every single one of us have been born with. You realize that our greatest problem in life, it's not not all the other things that we point to. It's not our struggling marriage, it's not our depression, it's not the economy, it's not rising gas prices of food or prices of gas and food or whatever. It's not, it's not COVID, it's not medical, it's not political. You realize our greatest problem is the rebellious heart we've been born with, that the only solution to is Jesus' forgiveness that brings us in a relationship with him. And the first thing that Jesus does is deal with that. He doesn't ignore his legs because the next thing he does is he turns to him. But here's what's interesting. Before he turns to his physical need, you notice what he said? He said, when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Not when he saw his faith, which is super fascinating. He's literally looking at the faith of the entire team effort right now. The man on the mat and the people carrying him. And here's where you got to be careful, because I don't think that we can just wish people into relationship with God. But I do think that we can be an instrumental part of the process so much so that we're literally helping carry people along just like all of us have been carried along. There's a, there's a technique in, in mountain biking and it's in, it's in other sports as well. We call it the toe-in. So if you're like heading for a feature that you haven't hit yet, it's a ramp, it's a jump, it's a drop off, you're not sure what speed to hit it with because you gotta have the right speed depending on if you're hitting a gap or it's a small gap, big gap. You're not sure if you should favor the right side of the path, the middle of the path. So you've never done it before. One of the things that you do is you have somebody that's done it before tow you in. So that means that they literally ride right in front of you. I mean, they're like, they're like inches in front of you. So if they wipe out, it's gonna be a super bad day for everybody. But what that does is it helps you know what pace to stick with, where to favor the path, where to stay when you hit the jump. This is literally a spiritual kind of toe-in what these guys are doing. They're helping tow their friend into Jesus. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have to make a decision on his part at some point. But it does mean that there's an incredible work that God has given us and an unbelievable ability to play a role in the spiritual process of other people coming to faith and meeting the God of creation. It's not simply that we just have something to tell. We actually have an ability to help tell people in. So these friends are telling him in. Jesus declares, your sins are forgiven. And then it says here, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy For who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. I think what's so incredible about this story is you have this guy who has this very brief but very powerful encounter with God. He experiences physical healing, he experiences supernatural healing, and then the entire trajectory of his life changes from this point forward. And it all begins with a group of friends who are willing and dedicated to say, There's no mountain we won't climb up, there's no shadow we won't light up, there's no roof we won't rip open. There's no crowd we won't push through to get you to know that there's a God over creation who loves you and adores you and actually life is found in him. And the thing about the story, it's not just a story that we can read about then and go, oh, that's great, good good example. It's actually a story that keeps playing out to this very day, all the time, with all the same characters involved. I think part of the question and part of the key to making this story more than just something to read but to really apply is to ask, who are you in the story? Because I'll guarantee I think every single one of us are one of these people in the story. For example, truth be told, maybe some of you are the crowd blocking the way. Like you're affectionate for Jesus. You would consider yourself a spiritual person or a Christian, a follower of Christ. Like you're walking with him, you go to church, you're doing some of the routine. But the reality is, there are parts of your life that have created barriers for other people. Maybe it's in levels of hypocrisy, maybe it's in levels of criticism. Maybe it's in something else that you just know. I'm, I'm probably creating a barrier to other people. Maybe even when it comes to church, it's just in the fact that it's all about your preference. And trust me, I have, prefer- I, have, I have tons of preference about church and what kind I love. I love guitar-driven music over piano-driven music. Sorry, Chris Cook, wherever you are. I have all kinds of things that are my personal interest. Here's the danger. When my personal interest trump My commitment to the mission of Jesus to reach other people, regardless of my personal interests, my interests have now become my God. God has given us this incredible participation to step into his mission with him and watch humanity change as they meet the God of creation. The reckless love that God so often demonstrates, he demonstrates through our willingness to be reckless, to love others recklessly, to pursue others Passionately, that they would know Jesus. Too many of us have become the crowd, though. Or maybe you're the person on the mat. Like, seriously, think about it. Maybe, maybe you're the person that's trying to figure out how to get to Jesus and you're just not quite sure how to do it. You know, one of the things I love about the detail that says he took his mat and took it home with him, your mat in this time was your bed. You would roll your mat up. small houses. You didn't have big space. So when the day came, you rolled up your bed. It was your mat. You put it away. You opened up more floor space. So it's a very good guess that this guy's mat that he was lowered on is actually his bed, which is probably why he took it away. He's saying, this is my bed. I'm going to take my bed home with me. But here's the thing. In this culture, there is a belief that your physical ailments were a reflection of your spiritual brokenness. So if you had any kind of physical ailment, the thought was you screwed up, God's angry at you, or your mom and dad screwed up, and so God's punishing you. And so you know that phrase that we use right now, if you make your bed, you got to lie in it? There's probably a very real belief, even if they didn't use that phrase, of that crowd, and it's why they didn't part ways going, you made your bed, you got to lie in it. You're only in this condition because of something you probably did wrong. And here's what I love. That's not Jesus' response. His response is, I'll actually get you out of the bed. I don't care what you did. I don't care how you made it. Here's my promise and commitment. I'll get you out of it. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're still trying to figure the whole thing out, and you're trying to figure out, how do I even answer some of these questions? How do I get to Jesus? One of the things I would encourage you to do is let the people around you that know him Maybe you've got some Christian friends. Maybe there's some of the people that have even invited you to watch or to be here. Let them tow you in. And, and be, be patient and gracious. Because I've been a Christian for a long time. We say dumb stuff. We create awkward moments. We make mistakes in the process. But I can also tell you this. It's born out of a deep desire that you would know that there is a God of creation who doesn't say you made your mat, so lie in it? Who says, actually, I came to get you up out of the mat. I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. I came to forgive your sins. So let them tell you in. But the real question is, will we be the people that carry the mat? Will we be the people like these young men committed to say to the people in our life, to the people at work, to the people in our family, to the people in our neighborhood, I will go through any barrier, push through any crowd, tear open any roof, scale any mountain, bring light to any shadow so that you will know there is a God over creation. I do not want to be the one who's only concerned with getting a seat for the show for myself. I'm committed to let the world know there's a God over creation. Jesus Christ is his name, and he is wildly affectionate about all of us. Would we be those people is the question. So we're gonna, we're gonna sing one last song this morning as a band comes out. As we're singing this song, here's what I want you to think about, because this isn't a sing-along-with-it song. I want you to think about those people that are in your life right now. Like, who is it that God has in your life right now that he's saying to you, like he said to me with Jeremy, bring me up. Just bring me up. Bring me into conversation. You're like, I don't know how. It's gonna get awkward. Yeah, let it get awkward. Bring me up. Who are the people in your life that he's saying, told men, make the invite. Share your story. Look for the moment to bring me up. And I just want you to ask God as we sing this last song, or you listen to this last song, just ask that he would press into your mind into your heart who those people are and a passion like you have never had to toe them in to the feet of Jesus.
0: Garden, you are not hopeless.
3: As you go out this week, as you go to work, as you go to the grocery store, in a couple weeks, as you go back to school, you're the army God's sending. So may you go remembering that God has given you the mission to do more than just believe in him, but to tow others in. This morning we're going to have prayer team up front. As always, we'd love if we can just serve you by praying with you, listening to you, caring for you before you leave. Come up front and let us do that. Please, again, as you leave, be gracious with our parking lot guys and patient with them. They're going to do everything they can to get you out of that lot smoothly without running into a dumpster. But that will all be gone next week. Hopefully the sun does come out as projected, and you have an amazing rest of the day, and we'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on
0: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.